Welcome to the GeoMob Podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, whether for fun or profit. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the GeoMob Podcast. So over the, over the last few years, we've seen pretty major changes in how people are getting around the cities. Um, so we have all kinds of new uh, modes of transport, uh, the whole micro-mobility scene with scooters and things like that. We've got um, electrification of the transport network. We've got a lot of uh, huge surge in delivery services moving around the city. We've got um, all kinds of innovation around public transport. Um, so there's a lot happening, and of course, geospatial uh, plays an interesting role in all of this. So that's why I'm very happy to have today as my guest, Christian Boyerlein, who is the CTO of a service called IOKI, which um, bills itself as experts for digital mobility. So he's gonna, we're going to dive into exactly what digital mobility is and, and also on this mega trend that's happening and kind of changing the way our cities work. Um, so Christian, welcome to the show. Yeah, hi, everyone. I'm glad to be here. Uh, let's let's get right into it. What exactly is Ioki and what what are you guys doing? So Ioki is a rather young company. It's uh, the whole project started in 2017, so we've been doing this for about five years. Um, Ioki is a hundred percent subsidiary of Deutsche Bahn, the German railway company, and yeah, we're headquartered in Frankfurt. We work all over Germany, and what we do is we offer digital new mobility solutions um, and the special thing about us is that we are uh, a software as a service company and our customers are local public transport providers so we offer a, a large variety of different digital services but our main product is an on-demand platform and, and this basically means that a local public transport provider, if they want to start their own on-demand traffic, you know, maybe like something like Uber or Lyft or, uh, or, or Bolt. And if they want to start something like this, we provide them with the whole technology stack. We provide them with the backend, with the fleet optimization, operator UI, and also end-user apps for Android and an iPhone and uh, everything that you need to basically get something like this on the road and extend your portfolio as a public transport provider. So, so what is, the idea is that the end consumer can have, can have an app where they can just say, okay, I need to go from A to B and show me all the different options of how to do that. Is that, is that kind of the idea? Or? Yeah, this is not what, what we are doing. We are basically, you, you can imagine there is a, a public transport provider, and they already have different means of transportation. They have buses, suburban trains, um, maybe a subway. So they already have a, a portfolio, and every of these transportation modes has like the pros and cons. And what we do is we offer an additional mode of transportation, which is uh, a fleet of on-demand shuttles that they can also make use of. So. We, we are not a B2C company. We don't do our own services like you maybe think of like Bolt or Uber. Instead, we provide this transportation mode to the, a local public transport provider and they can decide how to use it, how to combine it with 
their other modes of transportation so they are able to extend their portfolio. So g give us some idea of the scale. How many, how many journeys a day are being planned or how many, how many kinds of customers are you working with or j just some sense of how big this is? I mean, we are uh, active in all of uh, Central Europe. So mainly in, in Germany, Austria and Switzerland, but also in, in England and in Spain and Italy and uh, some other countries. And so right now we are running uh, 50 different services. So 50 different regions in Europe um, are running services powered by our technology. Okay, so um, I'm sure there's a lot of wiring underneath the hood there, putting that all together and a lot of um, merging all this data and managing all this different data. So, so what are the main kind of technical challenges that you're facing? And, and is, it, is it pretty cookie cutter in the sense of like, is every city or region pretty much the same and you just need to kind of adapt their data or whatever? Or is it 50 times different challenges? Um, yeah, it's basically, um, in, in our case, and this was the plan from the beginning because we don't run, run these services ourselves. There is no IOKI service running. It's, it's more like we are running under the flag of this public transport provider. And since we also don't get to decide where the, the service is actually happening, we have very diverse areas. I mean, usually um, if you if you know some of these services on your own, you, you usually expect them to start in, in downtown of a city, in the very center of a city. But if you talk to public transport providers, they usually will tell you there is actually not a lack of like modes to get around in downtown. It's more in the outskirts, in the suburbs, or on the on the countryside. So most of other services don't operate in the city center because the city center is usually well covered by subways and buses and other means of public transport. And our technology is used in other areas where there might not be good coverage by a bus or there is no train line, but still people started to settle there. So to get the most out of public transport, we usually are yeah, uh, used in, in, in very different areas. And then of course, you will have a different. I you will have a different goal. What you want to achieve with this? If it's on the countryside, for example, where usually there would only be a bus twice a day, then you have another idea of the quality of service than if you are operating closer to a city center. So it is. Well, so I guess one of the main technical challenges you have right is is helping the the network operator kind of manage this load and like figuring out okay which driver should be sent for which ride is that is that kind of what the the, the crux of the issue here exactly and we also try to figure out what is the best way of the best quality of service parameters for the specific region so i mean you can imagine it like this if you look at all public transport solutions that are accessible like on a scale then one part of one end of the scale would be a taxi, which does like whatever you want and whenever you want it. Uh, but it also has a certain price tag. And on the other side of the scale, there would be a train, which 
does not at all what you want. The train does what it, what it wants. It has its own schedule and its own departure stations, um, but it's rather cheap. And for each of these regions, we are trying to find the sweet spot in this scale between convenience, but we also, of course, want to make it affordable. Uh, and this is where we work together with the public transport companies uh, in in the place or as a as as a service for the public transport companies in place to find this sweet spot and finding this out how uh, how we can manage to make a sustainable services in each area and yeah the necessary features to do this uh, is basically the one of our unique selling points that we're able to adjust to each region so Lots of questions I have here that are, that kind of just occurred to me. Obviously, I, I prepared ahead of time, but now now the conversation is sparking. So first of all, you said we're going for for like five years or so, but obviously that includes the COVID period when transport was radically disrupted. So that must have completely destroyed all of your models and preconceptions and and uh, you know how did you adjust with that? I mean, because that changed how. I mean, first of all, in in the time of actual like lockdowns and things, that completely changed how people traveled and how much they traveled. But even now, the ongoing way, you know, people are are changing their lifestyles. And then, of course, also now we have the whole issue with um, the cost of energy and things. So people are uh, adjusting how often they travel and things like that. So <coughs> it must be just a continual learning curve for you guys of how to how to you know tweak the levers of the model. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, um, uh, it has been super interesting. Actually, um, we were not like heavily affected by, by COVID. I mean, of course, on the beginning during the lockdowns, nobody wanted to use public transport. The whole usage basically broke down. But on the other hand, um, there has been a lot of movement in the space of mobility and also, uh, especially public transport over the last years. And this kind of uh, movement and uh, the the will to experiment that didn't stop during uh, the lockdowns or during co the COVID um, pandemic. Uh, in in fact, it it rather like was accelerated. So, if you look at the so for example during COVID, a lot of uh, different cities tried out new things. They closed down street for cars. They introduced more bike lanes, stuff like this. All of this was ongoing. Um, I mean, I live here close to a city, Darmstadt. They introduced the first superblock in um, uh, in Germany. Uh, so there, there are a lot of things happening, not only on the software side, but also that uh, the real like traffic infrastructure of the cities has been changing or is changing right now. But that's this. I mean, so yes, you're right. It it, it is really cool to see how many different experiments are happening. You know, it feels like all these cities are doing different things with, um, uh, you know, as you said, closing some streets or adding more bike lanes or, you know, lots of cities now have these, um, uh, uh, you know, on-demand car rental, on-demand um, bike rental. And sometimes, you know, you have to lock up the bike at a station. Sometimes people just leave it on the corner or wherever, the scooters, all this kind of stuff. But... Thinking now pragmatically from kind of a, a software developer perspective, this must be an absolute nightmare for you because it's like 50 cities that want 50 different things and 50 different requirements. Uh, how do you, 
<laughs> I mean, is that is that perception true? Is every city, every region doing something different, or is it pretty much a few broad patterns that you can kind of adapt the software to? Or I mean, on one side, we we meanwhile we settled for something like same defaults for setting up a service, so we are able to get it off the ground rather quick. Um, on but of course, since we are operating in like a mid-sized region. This comes with certain, uh, yeah, with, with certain challenges that you might not face in other applications. For example, for for, for routing services. So I think this is the, the hardest thing for us is that, you know, for us it's it's not important that routing works reliable over the whole globe uh, on average. But in fact, we are operating in, in cities or parts of cities or a county. And there are usually like one or two very significant pieces of traffic infrastructure. And like, like a bridge over a river or a ferry or, or something like this. And uh, you really have to get these things right. Because um, we are usually talking about rides that, that take 10 to 15 minutes. So if you are three or four minutes off. This just sums up over over the day. So in order to, to provide a good service and to be able to like calculate the schedule in, in a rather reliable way, uh, we need to get routings very right in these 50 regions, for example. And um, so what what technologies are you using there? What, what um, I mean, what is what is the data, the underlying geographic data and traffic data that you're using, and what is the the, the routing engine? Are you have you written your own? Or are you using various open source pieces? Or uh, we are using uh, multiple routing services, um, so we are able to we are able to switch the routing the routing service for each region um, because we learned that. It really, really depends on the very specific region which routing service works best for us. Uh, and uh, we use proprietary software. We use uh, here maps for routing. Uh, we use OpenStreetMaps, the heavily customized OpenStreetMaps um, service that we host on our own, uh, especially for autonomous driving. And we also introduced NextBillion, uh, which is also an OpenStreetMap-based routing service uh, that we are also uh, yeah, using in certain uh, areas. That sounds like a bit of a maintenance nightmare to have so many different systems, but I guess you probably need to, huh? Um, it's interesting. What, what are the attributes that determine how do you decide which, which routing service is best for a certain region? Is just kind of you testi testing or is it... Like what? What decides which one is the best? I mean, usually they are uh, they they differ in features. Um, for example, here has traffic heuristics and live traffic. Um, on the other hand, um, next billion, for example, is uh, easy to to customize when it comes to map data. And if OpenStreetMap uh, OSRM is um, also we use it with heavily customized um, map data and also with a heavily customized profile for autonomous driving. Um, and, th and then we basically uh, decide 
what features do we need, for example, for a, for a certain region? If it is in close to a city, real-time traffic might be more valuable. Um, on the other hand, if it's on the countryside, there might be like this one specific map features where we want to, where we benefit more from editing uh, some kind of map data than, for example, next billion might be uh, the better choice. But we we really wanted to have not a single point of failure in this platform. This is why we uh, have multiple uh, routing services that we support. And that, so, yeah, this is just like a, a degree of freedom for us as uh, the people who build the platform that we are able to switch and to choose if a problem comes up. Gotcha. Gotcha. One, I mean, I guess a, a, a follow-up question to that is over the last six months or so, um, here on the podcast, we've had several guests and, and at our last event in London, we had a presentation from, from a company in Belgium and that is all, they're all have now started using, doing traffic planning and um, this type of stuff for using OpenStreetMap. Um, and this seems like this kind of a new thing that, that OpenStreetMap has somehow crossed some threshold that is now, at least in, in Northern Europe, good enough for um, traffic planning, um, at least in some simulations and things. Um, uh, what's your experience there? You, you find it reliable and, and comprehensive enough or...? or I mean, for, um, for, for the planning stage where we do analytics, um, OpenStreetMap is, is a great resource. Um, we use it for simulations. We use it with, uh, for, for, for example, in combination with other technology, like, for example, uh, we use Graphhopper on the analytics stage a lot. It's another routing service, uh, which is pretty great. And... Yeah, I mean, the, the main point for us is that we don't want to maintain map, map data ourselves. Um, so we don't want to have this maintenance burden, as, at least at long, as long as we can find another good way to, to provide routing for us without having to maintain map data. I, I worked in a company before that, that did this, and I know that it's uh, a huge effort to get to do this right, um, and I have a lot of respect for it. And uh, so, uh, yeah, we we really want to uh, use a service that that provides this for us. And on the other hand, I mean, OpenStreetMap is uh, pretty nice when it comes to routing. I think as as long as it's as you don't need uh, real time traffic, this is still uh, not so common in a lot of OpenStreetMap powered. Um, uh, services uh, and yeah, but but otherwise, um, there are a lot of great services, and there are also a lot of quite a few people in our company who are interested or active in the OpenStreetMap community. So it is always on the table when there is um, something to decide about technology or looking for new services. Okay, um, I guess let's flip. To the other side, instead of like you know the the database and the back end, I guess one of the big challenges that you have is kind of the front end, right? In that um, mobility, particularly if it's if this is um, kind of a a public offering, uh, uh, you know, it, it's 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 a service that everyone needs, a hundred percent of the population needs. So you really you have to design 
interfaces and, and ways to interact with people who are perhaps are less digitally savvy, less, um, you know, less familiar with uh, uh, routing tools and things like that. How do, you, how do you guys overcome that challenge? And what do you see there? Are people, um, you know, are people well able to, inter to interact with these kind of interfaces? I'm, I'm thinking here about people, you know, like, you know, much older people or, um, you know, I don't, I don't know, people who can't, uh, don't speak the local language as well or things like this. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think that's uh, that's a, a, a super important point for us. And this is also something that I learned because before that I worked uh, in, in startups. And now our company as part of Deutsche Bahn, our understanding is that we are part of public transport. And if you're right. into this, if you, if you get into this bubble, then there is a, a very common understanding that accessibility has a very high value and you start like treating or, or viewing um, accessibility from a lot of different points especially if this is a real world operation so on one hand you have like the the end user apps and of course you you may have to make sure that they are accessible that you for example you can use a screen reader with it and stuff like this on the other hand you still have the real world operation right you have to um uh, you have to make sure that the cars uh, you have are, for example, for example, are equipped with a wheelchair bay, and most of them are. Then you have to have features in the apps where you can, for example, mark that you are in need of a wheelchair bay. And and for us, this this goes down to the to the very core of the software application. So our scheduling software knows that there might be that they can, um, for example take other boarding times into consideration if we know that uh, the wheelchair bay will be used. So this is really like set into the whole core of this application. Um, and uh, beyond that, um, since the goal is to, to be a public transport service, for example, you, you, accessibility also means you don't need to have a smartphone to use the service. So we are able to use our product with a call center. So you can't call them in case you don't own a smartphone. And wow, access okay. accessibility also means you don't need a credit card to use this. So we are able to provide the service using cash or using some vouchers that you can uh, buy at certain stations. In, uh, in the end, because, for example, uh, credit cards are not super common uh, in Germany. Uh, a lot of young people have them, but not everyone. And uh, especially public transport needs to be accessible for the whole population. So in the end, of course, we don't operate these services. So it, it really depends on the operator, which of these uh, features they use. But um, we provide all the necessary setup so you can uh, set up a call center so you don't need to use a smartphone. You can pay cash or with vouchers so you don't need a credit card in order to make the service end-to-end -end accessible. Very impressive. Uh, I mean, because that's these are the edge cases that make building and operating a, a true public service so hard, so hard. I mean... Uh, uh, you know, it's very I, often we we see startups come, and you know the startup has the advantage that they can just kind of cherry pick their audience and go for an easy to serve audience. Um, but but you really have to provide it for everyone. So 
Well done. Well done. Um, what, uh, um, so, so most of our audience at GeoMob is, of course, um, uh, developers and, and product people in, in whatever form working on different geospatial services. So, <coughs> you know, a continual problem is um, uh, the, the issue of aggregating data. Everyone, we all have our horror stories of, you know, different data sets and how to get that all together and everything. And I imagine in your case, it must be no different, especially when you're working with 50 different groups. You must have 50 different formats or whatever. So any any data horror stories you can share or... Yeah, I thought about uh, I thought about it for, for for a bit, and I would like to share like one of my very first data horror stories. Um, okay. It's it's been from another company. It's it's a while back, but it it I, it it's burned into my mind. So uh, because it was one of the first where I was in charge. Um, so back in the days, we also I also worked for a company which did uh, which did location based services, and we saved waypoints for routes in a Postgres table. Uh, and there were some like mandatory waypoints, uh, the start and the destination, and also some non-mandatory waypoints uh, just for like roughly shaping a polyline for this route. And the service has had been online for, for quite a while, a couple of years, and, and one glorious morning, it just stopped working. And we were we had no idea what this was about. I mean, it was a, an online service, like multiple hundred thousand users were using it. Um, yeah. And we had no idea what, what this was. And because it wasn't really down, it was only half down. And it turned out the primary key of the table that called waypoints was just a, a normal in 32 primary key in Postgres. And we exceeded the 4 billion. And what happens in Postgres is it, it basically it, it gets read only. You can't like append anything to to the table anymore. Um, well, and then we we started uh, sweating and uh, tried to figure out what we can do about it because the table was huge. It was really huge, and it was necessary to run the service. So basically, we had like two ideas. Option one is. We convert the primary key from int32 to int64, and we just pray that it doesn't take too long because the service is down. <laughs> and we had no idea. I mean, this is the exciting thing about SQL, right? You, you enter a command you never entered before. Maybe it takes 20 milliseconds. Maybe it takes 20 hours. We just didn't right. know. Um, the other option would be that we delete all non-mandatory waypoints, hoping that it will decrease the time of, uh, of the migration of the data type. And then we somehow have to figure out how to reconstruct these non-mandatory points. And yeah, it was morning in Germany and we were entering like the Postgres IRC channel and we're like, we were begging for help. So just anybody ever do this, what will happen? How long will it, will it take uh, if, we, if we run this one line of SQL code that it converts from int32 to int64? And there was just one guy who answered us. Uh, and he said, uh, I bet dollars to donuts that it works instantly because it's bit compatible. Uh, and I mean, we are, were all like, we were native German speakers. We don't even understood what betting dollars to donors meant. To be honest, now that I think about 
I still have no idea. Does this mean I'm rather optimistic or uh, I have no, or uh, I don't know. Is that a good or a bad thing? Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so now we were Googling two things, like the technical problem and what what means I'm betting dollars to donuts. And in the end, uh, we actually, uh, we decided, or I decided to delete the non-mandatory waypoint, so cutting down the size of the table by 90% and then running the migration, still not knowing how long it would take, but just hoping that it would only take 10% of what it would have taken if we didn't delete the non-mandatory waypoints. And do you know how long it took? One second. Exactly. One second. It just took one second. Um, So Well, you you saved yourself nine seconds so there you go by deleting yeah and not quite because the next two weeks i was uh busy in the evening like reconstructing all these non-mandatory waypoints that i deleted um um uh and yeah i just you you just i just we we had no idea would it take like a second or 10 hours so we decided for the safe way and then it it, uh, it worked out but it had quite some aftermath but this was my data horror story. Well, this is that this raises a good point though, because I mean, it, it shows one of the issues of geospatial. I mean, particularly any service that's being used a lot is you don't. It's it's easy to, you know, by mistake or whether you need it or not, to capture so much data, right? And then all of a sudden, you you know, you you have to deal with this mountain of data and like. And issues that are you know simple to solve conceptually, you know, particularly if it's a, a, a all of a sudden become much bigger challenges when the, just the sheer scale of it uh, you know expands so much. So, anyway, well done, well done. So, um, so a, as we wrap up here, Christian, what um, what what can you tell us going forward? I mean, what what can we expect from from the mobility space going forward? Um, uh, both from from companies and organizations like yours, but in general, but then also, what is the implications of that for geospatial? I mean, what what are the kinds of data sets and technologies that you would wish people in in geospatial to be working on or be building or to be, um, or maybe there's someone out there you know who wants to do a startup and and you say, oh my god, if only I could find the guy who could solve this problem, we'd we'd start paying him a lot of money right away or like. What's your perspective there? I mean, in general, I think we are just in progress that, that the mobility space is getting way more diverse. Like the modes of transportation, there are not just like walking and bike and car anymore. There are like autonomous driving cars, e-scooters, there are e-bikes, and these are not quite the same. They will operate or they will be optimized based on different rules. Um, so I think that, yeah, also the, the tools have to get way more diverse, way more specific in profiles um, in order to, to uh, yeah, provide value for, uh, for these new upcoming services. And yeah, I mean, what I think in general, overall this transition is already taking place also there are much more experience going on in in terms of traffic rules accessibility rules where do i lock out cars but still allow for example e-vehicles stuff like this so it's uh, the variety is getting much bigger 
And I mean, if you ask about what tools are missing, um, because then fr from my perspective, I think there are two big things when, when you talk about delivery or last mile transportation, um, there is still a lot of room for tools that, that cover two things. And, and the one thing is that, um, you know, when I talked about that, we are operating a lot, rather like small, mid-sized regions, and there are usually like one or two uh, features on the map that really make or break the the routing uh, result. Um, yeah, I think what I, I think this is a use case for lots of de delivery services and uh, lots of last mile uh, transport modes that you really want operators to be able to optimize a very specific regions. And you have to provide tools for this. So that an operator can, for example, deny access for a road or allow access for a road. Um, I think we are like, for example, a good example, Ioki, because uh, there are little shuttle buses, but they are op operating as public transport. So sometimes they are allowed to cross bridges or, or uh, use streets which might be closed for huge buses in public transport, but also closed for small public cars. Uh, but we are allowed to do it. And in a in an area of this size, this can make a significant uh, difference in, for example, the, the route that gets found. Um, so in the end, I think... This is something that, that gets used by a lot of new services because a lot of new services need to optimize like for hyper-local routing. Uh, they think about stuff like, um, uh, for example, gorillas or something like this, but they, they operate in one city. They probably have their own traffic rules, how they route their, their electric bikes because they're not quite normal bikes um, and they want to take... Uh, yeah, probably advantage of, of, of why they have chosen this special vehicle to deliver stuff. And there are a lot of different services who, who also need this. And yeah, this is something that we have been right, like researching quite a while to, to search for solutions that are available on the market so you don't have to build your own map editor yourself so you can hook it up to your routing service. Okay, well, good tip. I mean, hopefully there's a listener out there who's ready to uh, to dive in, to roll up their sleeves and make it happen. Um, yeah, your, your, your point is a good one about the diversity. I mean, I've seen over the last couple of years, there's so many people working on, um, you know, routing for, for bicycles. But even within bicycles, you know, it makes a big difference. Is it a pedal bike? Is it an electric bike? Is it a cargo bike? Is it a, you know... And you could imagine for each one of these different scenarios, you actually need a different uh, uh, routing algorithm. And um, I mean, yeah, it's gonna get it's gonna get more and more weird and diverse, and um, you know, all the different vehicles we see people cruising around on. So, I actually think that this is a, a super a, a, an awesome use case for OpenStreetMap, right? Because uh, these kind of niche solutions. Um, are just you don't have to wait for the, the bigger companies to actually uh, create the one profile you have always been waiting for. Uh, instead, um, 
there is the opportunity for many people to create these profiles based on OpenStreetMap data. I agree. I agree. Um, we, we've seen some examples of that starting to happen. So, but I guess we got to get it all connected up and standardized. And um, let's see. Exciting times. Very exciting. Um, well, uh, maybe we'll maybe we can check back in in a year or so and and see sure. how things have evolved. So, what what is the best people? What is the best way for people to get in touch with you, Christian? If they want to learn more about you, about the the work that your company is doing, how can they how can they best do that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm always happy to uh, chat about these topics. So everybody can feel free to contact me on Twitter or Mastodon or LinkedIn. But I think there will be like an, an my homepage linked in the um, show notes. So, yeah, just hit me up if you have any questions or any remarks. Uh, I'm happy to talk. Fantastic. Thanks very much for coming on the show, Christian. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us today and listening to the GeoMob podcast. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please get in touch with us if you have any feedback or suggestions for topics we should cover. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our monthly mailing list where we keep you informed about upcoming events. You can, of course, also follow us on Twitter where our handle is geomob. Thanks for listening and hope to see you at a geomob event soon. Mm-hmm.